The blood is the mark that represents all that Christ did in his death, his burial, his resurrection. The mark, as it were, of the conclusion. It is the zenith of what he did. His blood is himself. That's his life. Because it is still God making covenant with man. However, this man, because the only man that can keep up with covenant with God is the man Jesus himself. The entrance of God's word gives light and understanding. Welcome to a season of blessing and transformation as God's word comes to you through the ministry of our senior pastor, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi. Stay blessed. Father, tonight we open our hearts to receive your word upon good ground. We receive all trans in the Holy Ghost more than ever before. Even as we begin this new series tonight, cause that revelation, Lord, flows freely, Amen. unhindered, Amen. in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So it's going to be a very wonderful teaching. Because this teaching, in particular, is so centered around our victory because the blood is the mark you see it's the mark that represents all that Christ did in his death his burial his resurrection you know because when he rose from the dead he had to present his blood so it's the mark as it were of the conclusion or the, it is the zenith, as it were, of what he did. He offered his blood. We're going to look at all that. And, you know, great man of God by the name Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray. Did you see this? He, you know, wrote a book about the blood of Jesus, faith in the blood. Old book, anyway. And, you know, one of the things he said, which is very important, is that there is very little teaching on the blood of Jesus in the body of Christ. There is very little teaching. And that's why the blood of Jesus is one of the things that believers either underutilize or abuse. Did you see? There's a lot of abuse with the blood. So people use the blood for funny things and as a way they commonize it. And so many don't even know the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you seeing this? As I was leading us in thanking God for the blood and praying to start this teaching now, you know, the Lord just said to me, he said, you know, take it upon yourself all through this series this month to pray the Pauline prayers. All right, to pray the Pauline prayers. Because you see, you cannot comprehend these realities with your intellect. You cannot comprehend these things with your intellect, these realities with your intellect. You cannot. Glory to God. And so, you know, the Pauline prayers. And um, 
to remind you and refresh your memories about it. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, you have to refresh the memories of the saints at Corinth of what they believed. As basic as it might sound, Paul said, I've got to remind you. Do you see that? This is the gospel I preached to you, 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul, speaking to them, said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory. Did you see what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain? So you've got to be careful to make sure you don't forget. There are things that are important for us to keep reminding ourselves. And it goes on in verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. Then he didn't stop there. So after that, he was seen of James. You know, Paul is very comprehensive. Yes, sir. Telling us some post-resurrection facts that are very important. The witnesses who saw Jesus physically after he rose from the dead. He's listing them to us now. Notice that. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures, verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas, then over 12. He even tells us the, the, the sequence in which each person saw Jesus. And then he tells us after that, he was seen of above how many? 500 brethren. In the matter of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. Now Jesus has over 500 witnesses. Do you see that now? And so he goes on and he says, and that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. That is, this present means as of the time of Paul's writing this letter. Yes, Do you understand that now? You know, don't read this now and say until today. No, they're not like today. <laughs> Praise God. You know, I've seen some of like people read something that I say, till present means even now, as we are talking, there are those who physically saw him of that rose of the Abba. Do you know how many hundreds, hundred thousand years that was? You know, usually the people say, you know, 2,000 years ago he died for us. I still, they started saying when I was little boy. <laughs> and today, people will be leading worship and say, 2,000 years ago. And I worry, is it, did it, is it a time as frozen since then or what? <laughs> you know, why don't you just say over 2,000 years ago? Amen, somebody. Uh, so beautiful. So he says, to this person, as of the time, but some are falling asleep. So that is, they've gone to be with the Lord. And so, and today, all these people have gone to be with the Lord. All right. So seven, after that, he was seen of James. Did you see that? Then of all the apostles. Then in verse eight, he says, and last of all, he was seen of me as of one also, as of one born out of what? Due time. Did you see this? Now, uh, many will say, oh, you mean Paul met Jesus physically? No. But did Paul see Jesus? Yes. Where did he see Jesus? On his way to what? But did he really see Jesus? Physically? So how did Paul see Jesus? By what? Revelation. You know, Paul's vision of Jesus... All right, it's very powerful because he's speaking as though no difference from those who physically saw him. That's how you should take the revelations of Christ to you. So don't be part of those who say stuff like, I wish I was born those days. I wish I was born the day Jesus came in Nazareth. Most likely you would not have believed him. In fact, you might have been one of those who... 
We said, crucify him. Away with him. <laughs> Do you see now? Don't, don't ever prioritize those physical sights to revelation. Revelation is more powerful. And you notice, as Paul continues to speak about this, he says, but by the grace of verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So notice now, it's amazing because when we continue to read in verse 10, Paul did more than the rest. And that seems to tell me it's as though revelation will propel you more. Revelation will propel you more. All right? Revelation will propel you more. And that's what we live by in the New Testament. We don't live by physical sight or senses. We walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. See that in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Did you see this? And so, as basic as it was, or as it is even till now, that this is the gospel message which you know which you believed and again God said Paul still said I need to remind you so in the same way as basic as the Pauline prayers might sound we're going to re-emphasize them are you getting what I'm saying now we're going to re-emphasize them you know in Philippians chapter 4 sorry chapter 3 you see Paul saying Philippians 3 and Paul said in verse 1 Glory to God. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. Paul says to me, indeed, is not what? Grievous. But for you, it is what? Safe. So there is safety in repetition. There's safety in repetition. There are three chapters of the Bible I've been reading for almost a year now. All right? Three chapters from three different books. All right? I've been reading, you know, for almost a year. I'm going to read it till next year. I literally can almost recite everything in those three chapters. But it's still new to me every time. I still read them today. That's what I'm saying now. They're still new to me all the time. The approach a Christian must have to the Word of God is freshness and newness all the time. It's freshness and newness all the time. Never get familiar with the word. Never get familiar with the word. Someone say that. Are you going to tell us those three chapters? No. <laughs> they are my chapters. <laughs> Praise God. You have them in your own Bible too. So, so when I say my chapter, I'm not saying it's just the original personality for me. No. I mean, they are just mine. You know, my emphasis and focus at the moment. You get what I'm saying now? So Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, beginning from verse 14. Ephesians chapter 1. Well, let's begin from verse 15. Wherefore I also, Paul said, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention, Paul said, do you see this of you in my prayers? And that's how we know these are prayers. Now, but you need to understand that Paul obviously prayed more words than what we're about to read. These are just the summary. 
And good for us, Paul gave us the very important parts of it. He summarized with the with focus on the right parts of that prayer. So it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, uh, you know, this is just all that Paul prayed as it were. This is like a summary of all he prayed for these folks. And he prayed this all the time. And what this would also imply is that Paul prayed this prayer for them severally. And it would mean sometimes he might use different words, but this is the intent. This is the, this is the substance of that prayer. This is the focus of that prayer. You see, in other words, somebody saying to you, I've been praying for you. So you ask, what for? Now, if you ask me what I've been praying about for you, I will not necessarily tell you the every little detail of what I've been saying in my prayer. I'm just basically going to give you the idea of what my focus has been. What is the, the, the desire I have in prayer for you? So Paul is saying, therefore, he said, I, I have not ceased. Did you see this? To give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, did you see, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Did you see that? In the what? The knowledge of him. So let me tell you what this means. This means that when you begin to pray these prayers, it's always important, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 18, did you see? And then 14 verse 15, first of all, what is it then? I'll, I'll sing in the spirit and I'll sing with the understanding also. I'll pray with the spirit and pray with the understanding also. Usually when you're praying prayers, you should pray in these two ways, understanding and in the spirit. Of course, you know, in the spirit, Paul is saying in tongues. Did you see this? But when you go to verse 18, he says, I thank my God I speak in tongues more. Than he all. You know, as Paul, you know, of course, first verse 14 is talking a lot more about tongues. And you notice Paul is saying, of course, this is what you should do more of, of these two. You should pray more in tongues. Did you see that? Than you do in understanding. In other words, your understanding should follow what the Spirit gives you in tongues. Come on now, are you getting what I'm saying? That's how to pray well. That even if I already had something in mind, which of course you must have something in mind that you want to pray about. Mark eleven twenty four. what things whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. So you must have something in mind. What, do you, what are you praying about? But when you get to the place of prayer, you must, yes, know, you know what you want to pray about, but you must pray that thing in the spirit. In other words, help, let the Holy Ghost help you pray perfectly. And usually as you're praying in other tongues, that's what you're doing. You're allowing the Spirit of God to take hold together with you in prayer over that subject. And as you do, what happens is it begins to open your understanding. And words will begin to come even into your understanding that were not there before you entered that place of prayer. So for example, these Pauline prayers, it should be prayed, did you see, and interjected with tongues. So what I mean is, I begin to pray and say, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus. And you know, really, we have that spirit of wisdom now. Did you see what I'm saying? So I thank you because I have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. The eyes of my understanding being enlightened in the name of Jesus. And therefore I know what is the hope of your calling. And then, mantros kebra nikarido stopra kana bahaya. So, what am I doing? I'm interjecting it. 
So that as it were at different intervals in that prayer, as I continue to pray it, uh, speaking in other tongues, and the Holy Ghost might begin to make me address specific areas of my life. And the Holy Ghost might also begin to direct my attention to certain scriptures as I pray. Certain things I've heard in teaching, even as I pray. Particularly this month, as we learn more about the blood of the everlasting covenant, that as you pray these prayers, speaking out of tongues, certain things that you, you are going to hear in this teaching will come alive inside you. Amen. The scriptures, the illustrations, the explanations, they just begin to come alive. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes, sir. You know, and so you continue. That I may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us what who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. And set him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet made him to be head of all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him did you see that feel it all in all glory to jesus so would you like to pray that prayer let's pray come on next five minutes let's pray everybody online on ground i'm asking lord I receive with thanks that I'm filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. The eyes of my understanding is enlightened, flooded with light. Topra Casa Praia, Oglamo Coscule Brenen Cladiaso, O Lendri Gamanza Ladika. Robe kekala makeke de gile gegene gegodo gozile gegea. Oh yes, that I know what is the hope of your calling. That I know what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. Yes, Lord. Leko tople niskelea. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And I know what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. And I know what is the exceeding greatness of your power to us, one who believe. Even according to the working of your mighty power, which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your right hand. Far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, you have put all things under the feet of Jesus and you made Jesus to be the head of the church of which I'm a part, his body. The fullness of him that fill it all in all. Oh, thank you because this light floods our hearts as a church. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory. 
in Jesus precious name. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Say after me, say, Father, Father in the name of Jesus, name of Jesus I, ask I ask and receive the spirit of wisdom, spirit of wisdom and, re and revelation in the knowledge of you. I ask and receive that my heart be flooded with light. The light of revelation knowledge causing me to be enlightened. Causing my understanding to be quickened. That I may know what is the hope of your calling. That I may know what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. And that I may know what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe, including me, according to the working of your mighty power, which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand with me together with him you have quickened me raised me and made me sit together with jesus fire above principality and power dominion might every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come you have put all things under his feet and you made him to be the head over all things for his body to his body the church of which i'm a part glory to god can you shout amen amen do you believe what you just said god answers prayers all the time he just answered that one too Glory to God. So say after me, say my, my mind. Now because that's your understanding. My mind, say it again. Is flooded with light. The light of revelation knowledge. Concerning Christ. And his finished works. Illuminates. My mind. Say my mind is quickened. Yes, it is. Yes. Glory to God. Yeah. Quickened minds. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, this church is filled with quickened minds. Online, on ground. Quickened minds. Our minds are quickened. So say it again. Say, my mind is quickened. Hallelujah. Do you believe that? Shout it loud, amen. amen. Glory to God. Yes, that's it. Glory. Glory, glory. You know, because truly your mind is quickened by the Holy Ghost and enlightened. The opposite of that is for those who have their minds darkened. People's understanding can be darkened. Paul talks about that. You see that. But that's not us. As for us, our minds are enlightened. You see that? Enlightened. Revelation knowledge. So that everything you're going to hear in this teaching is not just going to be mere words to you. 
They are mere words in themselves, but they can be mere words to you. But they will not be mere words to you. Do you see that? It's got to be revelation to you. You see, because when this revelation of the blood of Jesus breaks out in your spirit, there's going to be liberty. You see what I'm saying? As I told you, it's, it's the mark of you know, completion of everything he did. Because after he finished, rose from the dead, he offered his blood. And I told you all the time, his blood is himself. That's his life. Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Do you understand that? So he offered himself. We're going to see that in Hebrews 9. I'll give you an assignment. All right, since I told you I have three chapters I read. These are not the three chapters I read, all right, uh, per se, but I read these chapters too a lot. I've read them today already, all right, in many translations. Okay, so throughout this series, read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, all through this series. Read those three chapters every day, all right? Read them every day and pray the Pauline prayers, okay? So pray the Pauline prayers and read these three chapters every day. Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, and Hebrews 10. Do you see this? All right, then. So in beginning this series tonight, um, we're going to look at covenants. We look at covenants. You know, growing up in church, some people call it covenants, but there is no N in it. And maybe those who have gadgets, they've received help from their gadgets. Autocorrect. And there are those who will still be stubborn and be telling, struggling with, dragging with that. And I say, it's covenants. Covenant keeping God. Covenant keeping God. Don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> boy, oh boy. So it's covenant. Covenant. C-O-V. No end there. It's not even silent. It's not there. So don't say the end is silent. There is no end there at all. Covenant. <laughs> so say it's, it's, the end is there. It's silent. It's not there. <laughs> boy, oh boy. <laughs> so now, anyway. So we're going to look at the old and the new covenants. Because we're looking at a subject, the blood of the everlasting covenant. So we need to know what covenant is. And so in, in starting this teaching series, I'm going to talk a little bit about covenants today. Uh, that is the old and the new covenant. And we read from Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. And uh, it says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So it talks about a better covenant. If there is a better covenant, it means he's already comparing two things. All right. Um, I'll be, I told you, most of the time in the book of Hebrews, the word better is not necessarily used as a superlative with respect to just good, better, best. All right. Oftentimes, it is used as a comparison between the shadow and the substance. Okay? Now, in this case, it is both. In the sense that, of course, and even in all the cases, really, because you've got to understand, the substance is always better than the shadow, isn't it? So, but get the understanding that is usually referring to something that was a shadow and that which is now the what? The substance. Substance is another way of saying the reality. Can you see this now? 
And in this verse, what he is referring to as the better covenant is the new covenant. The new covenant is the better one. The new covenant is the better one. And that's why he's talking about it in relation to Jesus. That Jesus Christ has obtained a more excellent ministry. And by how much also, he says, is a mediator of a better covenant, did you see, which was established upon better promises. Did you see this? If you read from verse 1, that Hebrews 8, he says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. But notice what he has said so far. He said, now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, we have such an high priest, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. He's already comparing that which they did on earth physically which is actually just foreshadowing the real one that God himself pitched. And so you notice we go on in verse 4, For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Verse 5, Who serve unto the example, and what? Shadow. Come on, speak again. Shadow. Say it louder. Shadow. Shadow. Did you see this now? Of what? Can you see that? As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shield to thee in the mount. So it means everything Moses was telling them, he was speaking based on what he had been shown. Do you see that? So it means he was building something physical to represent something spiritual. Are you getting that now? And so, of course, you must understand and bear this in mind all the time. You're reading the book of Hebrews and throughout this teaching as well. Anytime you see these kind of shadows, understand, and these kind of statements in the book of Hebrews, understand that that heavenly thing that those physical things represented is now here. It's not just here. It is your reality now. Okay? Now, this is not the subject of our teaching, but it's good to mention at this point, the tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle is man in Christ. Uh So, let's qualify it. It's not just any man on the street. Praise God. The heavenly tabernacle is the man in what? In Christ. Did you see? Because God does not live in temples built with hands. Okay? And when we say the tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle is man, it's not this body. It is the spirit inside this body. That's the tabernacle of God. Do you understand now? Yes, sir. It's the spirit in this body that is the real tabernacle of God. Because this, this body you are in now, that we are in now, will perish. And if that is where God is going to, God is living now, then it means God will be homeless when this one perishes. But no, God forbid God be homeless. It's your spirit. Your spirit is where God lives. And that's why anytime Paul is talking about you, you, talking about the new creation man, that you is the hidden man. It's the inner man. You need to know you. You need to know who you are. You are not a body. And let me tell you this. You will never be a body. You will just only have a body. 
Wow. It's just that, you know, it is for the sake of English language that we say you are somebody, but you, you are not a body. <laughs> Praise God. You didn't, you didn't get what I was trying to do there. Some of you got it. Don't worry. <laughs> because you will never be a body. A body is just going to be something you have and you live in. So the you is a spirit. Because some people feel it's just something we say Christian lingo. That is your reality. It's your eternal reality. You are a spirit. You are not a spirit for now. You are you have you have always been and you will always be. <laughs> Let that settle in. Let it sink in. In fact, that's one of the greatest consciousness you should live with. I am a spirit. Boy. You know, so, sometimes if, if, if a believer would really be conscious of that fact, you would really live a more victorious Christian life. Because I, I think most of the time, the reason why we suffer defeat so easily and cheaply is because we forget who we are. Forget that we are spirits. Because last time I checked, spirits are unlimited. Spirits are unlimited. Because you see, when, when, when you operate as a spirit, a, a spirit in Christ, a reborn spirit, the regenerated one, you know that from where you stand, all right, your body where you live in is limited by matter, you know, space, time, and all that. But your spirit is not limited. You just don't know how your spirit works. So that you can be physically somewhere, but your spirit can affect things in many other places. Your spirit is not limited. Your spirit is not limited, like I just said now, by time and space. Your spirit is not limited by emotions. Your spirit is not limited by emotions. No. That's why in spite of how you feel at any time, you, your spirit can still function. Because he is not limited. I told you last week, the spirit of the man in Christ, the reborn spirit, is inconquerable. In other words, cannot be defeated. Cannot. It's not possible. It cannot be defeated. But he can give his victory away. <laughs> Ah, he can give that victory away. Anytime it looks like you suffered defeat as a believer, it's not because Satan really overpowered you. You gave him your victory. That's what you did. Because victory is already yours. That's the point. So understand that's the tabernacle, all right, that we are talking about. So now, the old covenant... The book of Hebrews chapter 8 speaks a little bit about it. So let's go to verse 6. But now, as he obtained a more excellent ministry, I'll read it again. But by how much also is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises? 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Notice this. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So notice he says, there was this first covenant and then he says there is a second covenant so he says in verse 7 for if the first covenant had been faultless 
Then should no place have been sought for the second. And so you're wondering. So the first covenant was not faultless. But that's not what he is saying. Far from it. He is not referring to the covenant when he says that if the first covenant was faultless. No, 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 no. This is not the first time I'm saying this though. Did you see it? But anyway, if you heard it for the first time, no, no qualms about that too. And even if you heard it before, you need to hear it again because I'm not sure you understand it yet. So notice now, when he says, for, the, for if the first covenant had been faultless, he's not saying that the first covenant was faulty. He was simply saying the first covenant found fault. And we're going to see that clearly. He was saying if the first covenant had not found fault, because you notice in the next verse, verse 8, he says, for finding fault with them. And you just need to read further down to know who the them is. You see now. So let's keep reading. He says in verse 8, for finding fault with them, he said, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house and with the house of Judah. Do you see now? So who needed this covenant? Who did they give the first one to? The house of Judah. The house of Israel. Then he said, I'm going to make another one. Are you getting this now? Then he says, not according, verse 8, to the covenant that I made with your fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the hand of land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. Did you see what, where he's putting the blame as his where? He said, because they continued not in my covenant. Are you seeing this? So it was they who defaulted. Are you getting this? Not the covenant. And I regarded them not, said the Lord. So look at just the context alone. The context alone is spelling it out clearly that the fault lies with them, not with the covenant. And we're going to see that, you know, from other parts of the Bible. Glory to Jesus. But by first of all, investigating the, the words that were used originally here. So first of all, let's go back to verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless. The word faultless there is from the Greek word amemptos. A-M-E-M-P-T-O-S. Amemptos. A-M-E-M-P-T-O-S. And the word amemptos in the Greek means irreproachable. It means to be blameless. It means to be faultless. It means to be unblameable. You see this? It means to be irreproachable, blameless, faultless, unblameable. Amazingly, all the places where this word appears, there are not so many. And I'm going to show you all four places apart from this, making five. All right? It is a word used in relation to man, not things. It is a word used in relation to man and not things. Except, of course, if you are talking about euphemisms. You know what euphemism is? You know what euphemism is? Huh? You know, because the person who said he knows, I'm surprised, is the one who said he knows. <laughs> I'm just joking. So, you know what euphemism is? 
So what's the euphemism? Somebody here just quickly owned up and said, I don't know. <laughs> it sounded like you it sounded like it's gonna be a penalty for lying here. <laughs> I don't know. So what's the euphemism? Come on, talk to me. You are all graduates, aren't you? You should have saved yourself. You know, say, yes, we are graduates, but not of English language. <laughs> check, check, check your, check your, uh, what's the euphemism? Is it what? Ah, are you sure? Is that it? Yes, I don't think so. Talking about, oh yeah, those of you that study law and did English very well, yes. Something far. Something found to be Okay. The person died. Okay, it's like wait. Okay, you you have quickly did. You've done a quick study now. You know it. Wow, you are sharp. So I don't think a euphemism is the word I was looking for. <laughs> oh my god what do you call it when you ascribe things that are only to humans and you ascribe it to things personification hey. <laughs> oh my god ah so it's me that you don't know you too <laughs> nice one, nice one, nice one. <laughs> okay, thank you. So, <laughs> so now, example of personification. <laughs> What? The sun smiled at me. Uh huh. Trees dancing. God bless you. In fact, the sun smiling was what was on my mind. Thank God I did not say it before. Wow. You people understand English, yo. <laughs> so, except if you're trying to use the word, did you see, ameptos, as a Personification. Am I correct now? Yes, but you said you didn't know anything at all. <laughs> so because the way you agree with me, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm correct. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Some of you are saying, Dad, it's been a long time I graduated. Even me. <laughs> anyway, so let's look at the places where this word is used. It appears in Philippians 2.15. Although if you're looking at it in the order in scriptures, it appears first in Luke chapter 1 verse 6, but I deliberately put that last because I want to explain something there. So Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless, and memtos is the word. And armless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Can you see this? Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So notice he's, he's saying, this is Paul speaking to the Philippians, that ye may be blameless, amemtos. Do you see that? As against how he is using Hebrews 8, where he says that, 
for finding faults in them because in verse 7 he had said if that first covenant had been faultless do you understand that now but concerning these people now Paul is saying that ye may be what blameless faultless amentos did you see that so you see it's in relation to men can you see in Philippians 3 6 it says concerning zeal persecuting the church Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul is talking about himself now. Did you see this? And it's the word amemptos again. And in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, to the end he may be, he may establish your hearts unblameable. That's the word again, amemptos. In holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. Did you see it again? Used in relation to people. Did you see? And um, finally, in Luke 1, 6, and he's speaking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. He says, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Amen to Did you see that? He's talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of who now? John the Baptist. Did you see this? So notice here, like I said, I'm going to explain something. But first of all, notice all the other places where it is used. So this makes it five places where that word amemtos is used in all the Bible that is the Greek New Testament. Did you see? And in all those places, it's referring to man. Do you understand that now? That a man may be found blameless. Do you see this now? Talking about himself in Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, uh, according to the law, he was blameless. Did you see? So you notice, therefore, in contrast to those he was referring to in Hebrews chapter 8, you notice he wasn't referring to the law or the covenant itself. He was referring to the people to whom that covenant was given. That that covenant came and found fault in them. So he was saying, if it had not found them blameable, if it had not found them reproachable. Do you see that now? Okay? Not that the law, because it's the law is referring to here. Did you see? Because what you call the testament, covenant, did you see this? Particularly in this context, is the law is referring to. Do you see? We're going to look at that more intently. And so, but it's interesting to see what he's saying here in Luke 1, 6. What the Bible is saying concerning Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he's saying, look at it again, verse 6, Luke 1. And they were both righteous before God. That ought to make you ask a question. Because Paul writes in Galatians 3, 11, put it on the screen, that no man is justified before God by the law. It's evident. Say, for the just shall live by faith. And here he's talking about Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah. And he says, this man, uh, this man and woman, this couple, were righteous before God. How? The Bible never ever contradicts itself. You, the reader, just needs to look and study more intently. And you will find that there is no contradiction. I told you, the word righteous, you see, just like the word Zoe. Some of these words, you need to understand, first of all, in the original language in which the Bible is written, the language of the people of the day. All right? It's just like the way we use English today. Those words, some of those words were not come, were not unique to the people of God. They were words that were used in different facets of life. Are you getting me now? For example, when you say when you hear the word assembly, assembly is not unique to church. There is the national assembly. 
Do you see that now? There, there is even suya assembly. I mean, that's worse. Are you? There is assembly in schools. Just like I told you last week, the word baptism. Are you getting this now? It's a baptize. You know, these are not words that are just unique to church, unique to God's people. These are words that are just, you know, the lingo. Is that all right? So you get the word righteous does not always mean right standing with God. No. One of the meanings of the word righteous is to have good conduct. There is righteousness which is talking about good conduct. That is not, it has nothing to do with right standing before God. For example, in Proverbs 28, 1, when it says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. He says, But the righteous are as bold as a lion. He's not talking about the man that has right standing with God. He's talking about good character. The man that has good character. Because you can tell from what is from the context of the statement. He said the wicked man is running away when nobody because his conscience is pricking him. You gotta say, because of his bad behavior, his his wicked acts. In contrast to that, he says the righteous. You know, that was the guy who does good things, the good man, the good woman. They are bold because you, you, you shouldn't be afraid, you didn't do anything wrong. Are you getting this now? Yeah. Amazingly, there is also the use of the word righteous with respect to giving alms. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Alms giving. Psalm 112. Put it on the screen. He has dispersed abroad, given to the poor. And then he says his righteousness endures for how long? Forever. So he says he had dispersed, he had given to the poor his righteousness. He's talking about his giving. Did you see that? There were times where David would speak, and you've seen Psalm 18 and some other Psalms. They would say, He said, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He's talking about his conduct. Did you see this? This arms given here, the Lord Jesus warned about it in the book of Matthew. Did you see this? When he was talking about giving arms, it's the same Greek word that you see Paul later use in 2 Corinthians. Because Paul made reference to this Psalm 112 verse 9. When he was writing to the Corinthians about giving. Did you see this? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 9 very quickly. Oh yeah, go, go, go. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I remember this word drill when you were growing up. Aha. It's all those things. I think we should be finding a way to do those things again. Two sword because of now when you say open your Bible, you know, draw your sword and say open to Zechariah. Look at the Bible now. Say open to Zechariah and it's going to the end of the Bible. He <laughs> said this one don't miss Rodo. <laughs> but they say open Psalm and it's going to the first few pages. <laughs> oh my god. You know. <laughs> you got it? All right then. So he says, as it is reaching, verse 9, thank you, he has dispersed abroad. Did you see that? He had given to the poor. Then again, he says, his righteousness does what? Remain and forever. Can you see that? And you know, if you read the previous verses and the verses after, which is how you get context, the previous verses is what you call the pretext. Then the verses that follow is what you call the post-text. That will not really give you your proper word. Context. And context is king. Always. Not your idea. Not what you said God told you about that verse in your prayer time. 
Are you? <laughs> As I was reading that verse and I was praying, God showed me something there. He said, when Paul wrote this thing, he was wearing blue shirts. Hmm. You are looking for trouble. Oh. <laughs> What can the Holy Ghost do when you're reading your, your Bible? The Holy Ghost can draw your attention to something that is already written there. And draw your attention to study it. And go and be reading every other place where that thing is spoken about in the Bible. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? <laughs> but the Holy Ghost will not give you a personal meaning to what is already in this Bible. You know, let me help your neighbor gently say, you know, you know Let's be guided, though. <laughs> and as I noticed in my teachings, you never hear me say, as I was praying one day, the Lord told me about this verse. I said, This is the revelation. I got this peculiar revelation. <laughs> ah, that's too peculiar for the saints. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's part of the reason why. There are certain people that we may not be able to relate to so closely. And this is some of the reasons why we maintain a distance from certain persons. Because when you begin to say so much of the Lord told me, the Lord told me in Bible teaching mm. and explanation, you are in error. Mm. Well, some don't want to agree to that. So they believe that different persons can have different views to a scripture. That's not true. You imagine you you wrote something or said something, and then different people come and say, "This is what they believe you meant." Abba, we are not meant now. <laughs> I got you now. <laughs> You know, and that's why the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. Because what those things cause is they cause confusion. Because that, in fact, sometimes an insult to the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundational apostles, because what you're trying to say is, as it were, the Holy Ghost, as if the Holy Ghost did not even inspire them when they wrote it. As if they were mindless and brainless. And without the Holy Ghost, they just wrote something and left it blank for us to, you know, get different meanings from the same Holy Ghost. It even insults the spirit of God. Makes it look like the Holy Ghost doesn't know what he's talking about. That he's not stable. And, you, and how can the Holy Ghost that's supposed to be our lead, our guide, be painted to be an unstable person? You can't follow a moving target. Part of what makes him our leader, that leads us, huh? Is, is stability. The Holy Ghost. And that's why he's God's spirit. Because God is stable. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Now, so what do we do when we see people who still believe the kind of No, no, you don't condescend. No. I don't believe in that. It's also the same reason why there are certain world folks I will not relate with. Because there's pride. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that makes you almost completely useless to God. How do you want to serve people that you are condescending to? You feel you know a lot, the rest of the body doesn't know it. Well, I've found in most cases, some of those folks, I've found them to be in serious error. 
many of whom are related closely with, found them to be in serious error. Sometimes their error is even more terrible because they are brazen and bold with it. And you only need to be calm to look and say, how can this person be so ignorant? Huh? <laughs> you know, I saw somebody say something and I just laughed and I said, boy, sometimes I read some things some people say and it reminds me that God truly limits the influence of the foolish. He does. So now you look at a person, he, he seems to know a lot, but no influence, no impact. And you can tell when you see some of the arrogance in what he's saying. This is exactly why God has limited this, this fellow. God, never forget this statement. God always limits the influence of the foolish. Always. Always. So you don't want to be a foolish person. And I'm saying this because the Lord asked me to say this <laughs> in this teaching. Say, always emphasize your congregation. We are not teaching knowledge just so you can have it in your head and know that you know something. No. You must know these things as a revelation that drives your life. That's what it is. It's not about... Also, we, we've heard a lot of stuff in our church. We know a lot of Greek words. You know, we understand a lot of things. But like, calm down. Knowledge of God's word is supposed to edify you. Yes, are you hearing what I'm saying now? It's not just to fill up your head. It should edify you. The job of a good teacher of the word of God is not to impress you with what he knows. It's to edify you. <clears throat> there are a lot of things I can tell you, but I don't. I won't say. Because it's of no use to you. Your Christian life, that is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, so don't, this is not a teaching to now go and be using to say, look, let me tell you about the blood. Next time if I hear you in your life, if you ever say blood on the windscreen. See, the man who is saying blood on his windscreen, that may be what he believes in for now. That's what he knows. That's the level of understanding right now. Leave him there. He will grow. You too, maybe you are growing. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now? Uh-huh. And that's why I know the character of our ministry is we don't have members who go on social media fighting people all over the place, yabbing other ministries, and saying all kinds of funny stuff. It is not our culture. Yes, I'm not sure your neighbor knows. Let me tell your neighbor, see, it's not our culture. <laughs> Arguing in comment sections. Somebody, somebody wrote his own post, used his data to post it. Then you carry your big head and go there. <laughs> You now be arguing with them. So what do you mean? And then you waste six hours of your day. Because you are trying to prove a point. I said, we sabi this thing. I said, but you, you know sabia. It is not our culture. It's not our culture. It's not our culture. Because sometimes there are things that you talk of you look at yourself five years ago. Some of you maybe as recent as one year ago. And see the funny things you once believed. How many of you have ever looked back at yourself? And you just say, Lord, have mercy upon us. <laughs> now, extend the same mercy. Extend the same mercy to others. And I repeat it, it's not everything that some folks who claim to be word folks are saying that is correct. Yes, sir. Many of those things are wrong. I'm telling you. 
completely wrong. Totally wrong, sir. Some of which some of them have even corrected, but they will not be bold enough to tell the people that they thought that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some guy just posted, I say, you know, uh, you know, oh, God is taking it away from my mind now. God has saved that guy. <laughs> you know, we just come and say some things, blah, blah, blah. Like, you see, this guy is so excited about what he has just heard. Ah, some of us that heard this almost 10 years ago, over 10 years ago. They say, ah, you just look at the guy and say, it is shocking the guy. By the time this thing you are doing distress on part of your life, you will sit down with your New Testament and be satisfied. It's fighting over nonsense. Okay, hyper grace. I say they are, they are, they are saying they, they, they label us as hyper grace. That they don't know that when they really know grace, they will know that grace is hyper hyper. <laughs> I looked at the guy and I shook my head. And I looked at the name on the Facebook. I know the first thing that comes to my mind is so I said, How did this person become my friend, actually? That's, that's, what, that's it. Because I, I usually begin to trace the history. When? How? When did I accept the request? I'm trying to know. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, My God. <laughs> my God. You know, because at the end of the day, you see the way the knowledge is shocking. And nobody's arguing with you, but you just gonna start an argument online. Yeah. Say, they said, when you ask the best, who are that day? <laughs> there is no precise name, nobody. But you know, there is just that we need to fight. We need to show people what we know. That's why there's no platform to show it. Because always remember, God limits the influence of the <laughs> say I hear. Okay, so we're back in our study now. Say amen. <laughs> Praise God. So these guys were said to be righteous. So let us consider the use of the phrase righteous here. All right, righteous before God. All right, in Luke 1, 6. The, the word righteous there is the Greek word dikaios. Or dikaios. That's the right way to pronounce it. So I'll spell it to you. D-I-K-A-I-O-S. D-I-K-A-I-O-S. Dikaios. That's the right pronunciation. Dikaios. And the word dikaios here, notice now again, like I told you, this word is not talking about right standing before God. It's not talking about the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. No, not at all. This word here, dikaios, means equitable in character or act. Did you see this? The word dikaios, as it's used in Luke 1, 6, to describe Zechariah and Elizabeth is the word, it means to be equitable in character or act. By implication, it means to be innocent. Can you see this? In fact, the Passion Translation reads it this way. They were both, they were both righteous before God, living virtuously and following the commandments of the Lord blamelessly. Did you see this? Living virtuously and following the commandments of the Lord blamelessly. So it means it had to do with their character and their conduct. And we're going to see that even this character and conduct here is not just general character and conduct. It's character and conduct befitting and expected of a Levite. 
is more like saying they were ethical. Because we're going to see in the previous verse, verse 5, it says there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia. You know what you see? The priest, they had, they had sections, divisions. Did you see this now? And, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. So these two, this couple, the man and his wife, Elizabeth and Zachariah, husband, they were from the tribe of Levi. They were priesthood, as it were. They were part of the priesthood. And so notice, he says that, because this is Luke writing. Luke's presentation of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus is the most masterful. Because if I, when you begin to read how he started in this Luke chapter 1, he said, I, I, he set it in order. Very systematic. Now, this is a doctor. He's a physician. And you see how his training, as it were, is showing in his work in the ministry. Now, they say today is World's Teacher's Day. Some of us teachers need to be celebrated more than others because I have a teaching anointing. I have a teaching degree. <laughs> so I'm just telling you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Please thank you. God bless you. Be seated. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about it on our way to church now. You know? I mean, some of us, I mean, we have teaching anointing called into the office of a teacher. God teaching degree from the university. Ah, it's our day. <laughs> If I had known earlier, I would have walked out to this. Did you see now? So, in the Amplified Classic, Luke 1, 5-6, In the days when Herod was king of Judea, there was a certain priest whose name was Zechariah of the daily service, the division of Abia. Now, that Abia, you know, in the Hebrew, the original name is Abijah. Did you see that? And his wife was also a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So, she was a descendant of Aaron. That's... The priesthood there. Did you see this? So he says, and they both were righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements. Because when you go in the Old Testament, you know there was there were certain requirements for people from that tribe of Levi, and particularly those who were in the priesthood. Yes, so the word righteous here is used in relation to that. Their conduct was as it was befitting for one who is in the priesthood. Because you will see even in the New Testament, Paul gives specific instructions for those who will be leaders in the church. There is a character befitting of Christian leaders. Spiritual leaders. So what he's saying here is that they had a good report before God that was befitting for them as people in the priesthood. Not that they were already like righteousness of God's right standing before God for salvation's sake. No. Nobody could get that outside of Christ. Yes, sir. Righteousness, right standing before God without sense of guilt, inferiority is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you getting this now? Yeah. I'll read to you the NLT, Luke 1, 5-6. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. Did you see that? Or well, you can call it Abijah. <laughs> You know, 
<laughs> you know, because the King James says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain prince. Anyway, Nigeria will meet you. It's Abia, Abia State. Whatever. <laughs> it's like there is a Nigerian factor in this matter. <laughs> so, but like I told you, the, origin, the Hebrew actually, because the Abia is actually a transliteration. All right, from the Hebrew to the Greek. So notice now, so, and her name was Elizabeth. So we're reading from the New Living Translation now. And his wife, Elizabeth, rather, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Are you seeing this? More like ordinances that were given to them, did you see, to live by. So notice here, therefore, I wrote this down in my note and I want you to take it down. Righteous and even blameless here in this text is relative to the ordinances of the law. Right? Righteous and blameless here is relative to the ordinances of the law as touching their tribe and the priesthood. And notice these ordinances were given by the Lord. Because God gave Moses instructions. He gave them instructions even, even to what they would wear. This is, what they, this is how they should dress. This is what they should put on. Do you see now? And I, and I think sometimes it's very dangerous for people in some wokeness to begin to say stuff like, you know, the pastor of a church is the same as the members. That is a very, very careless statement. Very careless statement. Very careful. And I, people who say those kind of things, you can check them. There is not so much God has committed to their hands. Because God cannot commit things to people who don't have a, an understanding of difference. Can't. Say, so your pastor is not like a member. What? Well, if you are like a member, I don't need you to be my pastor. Since we are the same. Without controversy, the less is blessed of the greater. Those are some of the careless statements that water down consecration. What does that congregation say? You are just like everybody. No, you're not. No, you're not. And that's why you notice in the Old Testament, see the instructions given to the Levites. There's a way you live. There's a way you live. Basically, the hallmark there is even your consecration. Now, of course, there are the extreme of those who all they look at in ministry is just the glamour of ministry. They're looking for, some people, I I wonder sometimes, really, and I say this all all the time, I think a person must have lost his mind to wake up and the only thing you want to really do of your own will is ministry. You have to be crazy, really. (laughs) I'm not joking. And it's not because I, I, it's not, I'm not, it's not because I'm complaining about my work. I love it. You get what I'm saying now? I'm just saying when you understand the demands of it, I don't think it's something you want to choose. It has to choose you. Then you now accept it and your mind is renewed to settle into it. Because <laughs> I would think it's about suits. <laughs> you know? And then you just come and just, you know, God does with speaking, you know, cool English. King's English. And say, you know, uh, the word of God, the word of God, <laughs> the word of God. <laughs> and as I these days, now it's amazing. You see on social media, you see a lot of folks have turned ministry to showbiz. You know, 
just come. Morocco, let's show the glamour and everything. You know, you come in, blah blah. You drive out of your car. You come out like this. You know, you know your jacket. You know. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I'm not criticizing anybody for doing whatever they like. I mean, if, it's, if, it's, if it shoots your gun, go ahead, you know. So, but I'm just saying, sometimes those are things that can be so misleading. Because that's what some people now think ministry is about. And unfortunately, that's what some people have come into ministry for. And that's why they can't last in it. Because after five years, when he doesn't see that now, you say, ah, but I thought this is what they say it's about. Ah, why now? You know, what's going on now? <laughs> It's more than that, too. It's not all the time that there will be AC like that. Uh, you don't know before we got here. <laughs> and even this one that we are seeing, you know where we're going. <laughs> Somebody was talking to me about property. They're trying to get a property and they've done this, done that. And I, as I was trying to counsel him, even things that I had forgotten before began to come up, the experiences we've had. I mean, how you think people will really even respect God? You will be shocked that it is ministry God that people want to swindle. Wow. Mm, yes. And I began to recall, recall. I said, on this argument, we wrote two places where, when we first got to Lagos, they. <laughs> See, the first one, they literally would have just entered the trap like this. Just one question. Say, okay, let's see the documents of the property that we want to lease. Then the person said, actually, it's not my own. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a joint venture, something, something. Ah, ah. Okay. See, and then the document, I don't think I can bring it out now. The man that, ah, ah. The second one is the place we always refer to as the wilderness. So far from here. We're there for almost a year. Say, God, you must do something. Playing a song, just play the song, pray the Holy Ghost. And I didn't even know what to cry, whether to cry or to shout or to rejoice. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I mean, you know what we experienced at the beginning of this year? I mean, some people don't know all that part of ministry. They don't. What will you do? When you move to a place as a church, and then on a Friday, you just call you and say, somebody else has paid, and you've even moved in. Yeah? A place that you are having conversation, ongoing conversation, negotiation. Yeah? On a Friday, they did, it's not as if they call you to say, ah, sorry, we've given it to They didn't even say anything. It is somebody that saw the new people that moved in. I said, they moved in. You know, you know as I said, at that Friday, we were planning ah, on Sunday, we'll see in church now. But alas. <laughs> but hasn't God been faithful? <laughs> <laughs> Glory to God. Sit down, sit down, sit down. Glory to God. Yeah, that's what I told you the other day. We've got to be grateful to God. Yeah. We've got to be grateful to God. But you must just know it. So this the ephemeral things is not what ministry is about. Ministry is about people's lives and what God wants to do with it. 
right? It's about people's lives and what God wants to do with it. It's not about glamour and, and all those things. No, it's not about that. It's about people's lives, what God wants to do with it. And I've said it, ministry is not even about what you want to do for God. Ministry is about what God wants to do through you. I tell you, early stages of ministry, I used to think ministry was about what I would do for God. Until three years ago, the Lord said to me, son, you've been passionate and you've just been all about, you know, what you would do for me. And he said to me, that's not what it's about. It's about what I want to do through you. So sit down. Let me do it. And I found out in the last two years, especially, God has done more when I rested for him to walk through me than when I wanted to walk for him. Telling you the truth. Telling you the truth. Because ministry is not about you projecting yourself. Ministry is about God projecting himself through you. That's going to bring a lot of contentment to your life. Because a lot of people are trying to be visible. It's a waste of time. They want to be known. You're wasting your time. So at the end of the day, when you are known, so what have you, what have you achieved? You are not different from a celebrity then. Are you hear what I'm saying now? It's very important. Because there is a life for a called person. I've said this many times. They're calling places limitations on you. I think you will not be able to do again because you're a minister of the gospel. And you've got to settle down with that. So all that mindset of the pastor is the same with everybody. You are talking rubbish. <laughs> you are not the same. Old. So those of you who are in MITs, you have been drawn into a life of not being the same. You will never be the same again. Say amen. <laughs> so notice now, so righteous before God here is similar to how Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 4, that the conduct of a meek and quiet spirit is of great price in the sight of God. 1 Peter 3, 4. And he uses the same Greek word that uh, Luke uses in Luke 1, 6. Same word he used. Did you see Peter said, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, enopion, E-N-O-P-I-O-N, enopion, the phrase in the sight, enopion, did you see of God? And notice what was Peter referring to in 1 Peter 3, 4? That is of great price in the sight of God. He's talking about the conduct of a woman. The conduct of a woman. Give it to me from verse 1. Let's read 1 Peter 3 from verse 1 to 4. Very quickly. Very quickly. Very quickly. 1 Peter 3. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that even you obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be warned by the conversation of their wives. Now, he's not saying that they'll become born again just because they watch their wives behave well. He's simply saying they'll be won over. And then they will consider and listen to the message. That's what he's trying to say. Because you must know that your conduct can either be a hindrance to the message or an enhancement to the message. That is, to people receiving the message. Are you getting what I'm saying now? That's what Apostle Peter is writing about. He says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Verse 3. Who's adorning? Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the air and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. I've told you that. He's not saying they shouldn't use those things. All right. Otherwise, because people are selective now and they say, Peter is saying, go back to verse 3 now. Uh, they are saying, Peter is saying, don't put on, uh, don't use gold, don't use earrings, 
This is a scripture many people have used as their basis for saying a Christian woman should not use jewelry. But it's so wrong and it's so hypocritical. Because if you're selecting only the jewelry and the plating of air, you know, doing all these, uh, all these things you guys do, attachments, uh, jerry coil, palming. You don't do palming, just do that. <laughs> I mean, it's out of fashion because we don't know what is out of fashion these days now. So people palm there. So you palm there, you go under the dryer. If some people say that dryer where you put your head under it, it's like you're practicing for hellfire. You get so hot. You know, uh huh. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> After some of our parents are, see, you can never change their mind on this. You know, mom was going to tell my mom during my dad's birthday, they were going to do photo shoot, and she was going to tell her, you know, they would, they would do makeup for her. My mother said, like, yeah, already because. <laughs> <laughs> see, long ago, I said, I made up my mind, I said, eight yeah, of all things, this one. Hmm, I'll never let this kind of daughter come to my daughters. Like, yeah. <laughs> ah, you see, daughters of Zion like this, see the beauty being concealed under the Old Testament law. <laughs> <laughs> I love the girl where they come. He trousers, he tells I don't wear it all. A woman shall not wear one belongs to a man. Hey, my God. You'll be amazed. So, what Peter says here let it not be the adorning of plating the air or wearing of gold. Then he finally says, or putting on of Abra clothes. So if they are saying, don't do your hair, don't wear makeup, then they are also saying, don't, don't wear clothes. Is that not barbaric? Is that not absurd? But you see, it's selective stuff. People try to read their minds into the Bible. And making the Bible say what it does not really say. It's called eisegesis. It's a word. It's not, all right? Eisegesis is to bring your own thoughts, your opinion. And read it and impose it on God's word. And then you begin to carry scriptures all over the place to support that idea. Is the king of all errors. Whereas the opposite of that is exegesis. Which is to go into the word of God to find what the word of God is saying. What it means by itself. To look, and that's the labor of a student of the Bible. Not just a minister for every Christian. Your, your labor is in going into the word of God to find what the word of God is saying. You want to find the meaning, the heart of God's word itself. Because that's how it's found. When you read, 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 so that you don't just lift a statement and say, for it to say this, it means this is what it means. No. Or for it to just conclude there's a contradiction. It's because you are not, you are not, you are not diligent. Because your diligence is what will make you go and investigate. Ah, what could it mean? And you settle in the fact that the meaning of every text of the Bible is in the Bible. Yeah. Not in any extra material somewhere. It's right there. It's right there. That's why you don't really establish any teaching of the word of God by just using translations. The first thing is context. Alright? And then the original words. That is what now helps you know which translation is correct. You don't use translation to determine what is right about a text of scripture because some translations are wrong you'll be shocked to know there are certain things i found even in the amplified bible that was a completely wrong mistake if i hebrews 8 i'll show you that in the course of this teaching with respect to the hebrews 8 7 and 8 it's yeah hebrews 8 7 and 8 if the first covenant was faultless 
actually amplified Ogbibagiza. <laughs> because amplified interpreted it to mean that it was a covenant that was faulty. And we'll close with that today because the word of God tells us the covenant is holy. The law is good, is just. It says the law is spiritual, it is me that is carnal. Which clearly explains what he's saying in Hebrews 8. Now, does that mean as you look at Amplified Christ and say, you are not classic at all. There's nothing classic about you. No. It has to understand it's the limitations of man. It's the limitation of man. And after all, just this evening now, I didn't know what euphemism is. Because I don't know it all. Oh, you haven't noticed? Anyway, I've just given you your notice now. Breaking news. No, I don't. I can make mistakes. It's just that my mistakes are little. They are minimal because I'm growing. That's the way life should be. Your mistakes should reduce as you grow. If your mistakes are increasing as you grow, something's wrong. Mistakes should reduce. Accuracy should increase with growth. That's why it's called growth. Recently, a friend of mine was discussing and and he made a reference to a book by John G. Lake. And as I said, I, I, I remember that. At the beginning of that book, they wrote it there clearly. There are certain things, as you read, will sound like contradictions to what was first said. It's not because the man of God contradicted himself, but they deliberately documented his life's work without editing those things to show you that as John G. Lake grew, he found out some things that he had said were not correct, and he corrected them. And that's a good example of a minister of the gospel. Some of you have followed me over the years, though, there are certain things I've taught before that I didn't say, oh God, nah, nah, nah. don't be like that. But the important thing that now makes us safe, in spite of the imperfection of our teacher, is the sincerity of his heart. Because when God sees that sincere heart, God will still walk with what you know, even if it's not correct. I'm telling you that. So I look at people sometimes, there are ministers of the gospel, their doctrine is not correct, but you cannot doubt their calling. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> If they are sincere. Yeah. Because it's just, God has no other vessel to use. He's man. And I have not seen any man that has come to perfection of knowledge yet. No man, sir. Not even I in front of you. There's no man that has come to the perfection of knowledge. No man yet. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Glory to God. Is this a blessing or not? <laughs> so notice now, so uh, we're with Peter earlier on, isn't it? So he's not saying don't wear earrings. So wear earrings, feel free here. All right, make your hair. And of course, please put on clothes. <laughs> I think this generation needs to be taught that because it's like they don't want to put on clothes again. Sometimes you're driving, and you're like, Where do I want to put my eyes again? And then when my driver is driving me, I mean, I have the liberty to at least sit and then you're just meditating or listening to something, and then you're looking out the window. And almost every time that is, you are driving past all kinds of things you don't want to see. And I'm like, What is wrong with everybody? Hey, God. 
like the, the fashion of this generation is on the basis of how, how less you, are, you can cover your body. Well, you know, you as a believer must not be conformed to this world. Because today, I watched live on TV the, the British Prime Minister, Liz Truss. It's her name. In case you still think it's Margaret Thatcher, that's a long time ago. <laughs> You know, some people are not current at all. <laughs> there may still be people who think in their minds today that Sanya Bacha is the president of Nigeria. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and the woman was well dressed. Her skirt was long. You see what I'm saying? Cut up to here. Is it below the knee? I'll be uh, below the knee. All right. And then her chest was well covered. Anybody that will be great, that's the. <laughs> well, you cannot be, be modeling after Beyonce or <laughs> in dressing. Yes. Uh, open your chest. And I say that's what is in vogue. You will attract the people that see that as their values. And don't blame God when that when you begin to reap your harvest. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Some of those ladies who dress like that, those celebrities and everything. When and if, which some of them do occasionally, occasionally, if they ever get anything to do with some serious-minded people at high levels of this, they don't go there that way. Let's just put it like that. When the dog is going mad, he will still remember the other. <laughs> I'm telling you now. Yeah. And that is to show you, you can't dress like something that doesn't represent your future. Your future in God. Well, that's the only place you have a future anyway. Outside of God, there's no future. Yes, sir. I'm telling you now. You've got to realize all these things. And I think brothers too, we need to speak to brothers. Be content to see a woman as valuable beyond just her body. Okay? And I believe the way many people are dressing today is the dressing of bedroom that should be for your husband only. And sometimes they're even confusing the whole thing now. Because we should also still go back and talk to Christian ladies again. Because sometimes the dressing you should dress for your husband in the room, you are too spiritual to dress it. DOD singles. I mean, DOD married. Eh? The dressing you should dress for your husband in the bedroom. Dress it for him. Wear all those things. That's where the that's where those things should be worn. Okay. You hear? Oh no, no, you dress like Eskimo at night. It's bedtime. You now dress like somebody, somebody who's going to the moon. You cover everywhere. Then, <laughs> to make matters worse, you now wear hood on your head. <laughs> you now be like vigilante. <laughs> oh, you believe me, tissue? <laughs> I be like vigilante, Daniel. <laughs> And let me tell you something. We are going over the grace of God. 
<laughs> if I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give mom some instructions about that. So prepare some, like you know, short courses for newlyweds that you would take like a week to your wedding. So that you will know how to handle things. Uh-huh. Are you hearing me? Or? When you're buying your cloth now, because some of you now is the Ankara and all those things that you that they put in the area for you. That you will now be using. I mean, how can a man marry you? After marriage, then you enter. I mean, he has he has held himself, self-control, all through your courtship. Now enter into the marriage. What he's supposed to now see, you are covering it. <laughs> huh? <laughs> As you, now, you now get married, you now be rapping yourself. Not tie rapper. At your age. You are tying rapper. You know, you know rapper is for grandma. <laughs> oh, Jesus is Lord. So wear clothes. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. So Peter now says, this is of great price. Did you see this now? In the sight of God. Did you see? That's the same Greek word you will see in Luke 1. When it says, they were righteous before God. That word before there actually is the same Greek word, enopion. Did you see that? So he's talking about when God looks at people, as in God's just looking at you as in your character, looking at your conduct. And I can tell you that, that God looks at even his children and he can say of some of us, this guy is a good guy. And there are those who look at and say, this guy doesn't have good character. That's why I told you, God loves us the same. He doesn't trust us the same. Doesn't trust us the same. Doesn't trust us the same. Definitely, Mary couldn't have been the only virgin in Israel. But, but apart from the fact that she was chaste, sexually pure, God knew that, which was a major thing, she had to be sexually pure. But God also knew she had good character. And so, he could trust that into her hand. There are some things God cannot trust into your hand if your character is bad. Because it's, there is no point. Like I told you, your character can either hinder or enhance what God is trying to do. So if your character is bad, why would God commit certain things to your hand? You will not even get it done anyway. So it's not about him taking it personal. It's just a function of your character is not even good enough to run this thing that I'm trying to do. That's why he says God resists the proud. The, the only business of God with the proud is to resist him and to humble him. Yeah. And usually it's for his own good. So you must understand the importance of good character. That's what I'm trying to say here. That though this righteous here, diacos, is not uh, is not right standing before God and is not going to earn you right standing before God. However, now that you have right standing before God, this is also important. Yes, sir. Come on now, is somebody hear what I'm saying? Yes, if I tell your neighbor for me, preach, I say this is also very important. Also very mm. So if there's a man sitting next to you, tell him to be a good man. If it's a woman, say be a good, good woman. Your voices are quite low there. Is it like you are scared? You don't have boldness. Tell your neighbor, say be a good man. Yeah, be a good woman. Those of you on the comment section online, tell the people on you know be tagging people's names there and say be a good. All those people that been shouting glory, glory, say be a good man, Mister Glory. <laughs> 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 
you gotta be a good man. You gotta be a good man. Did you see now? And so, and and that's what it meant that that the man and his wife were good people. And I believe we as Christians should be good people. Let's be good. Let's be kind. Yeah, let's be very kind. Let's be honest with money. Are you hear what I'm saying? Let's be diligent at work. Let's be truthful. Let's not break traffic lights. Right, it's not going to end us right standing before God, but it's going to enhance our work for God on earth. Let's be sexually pure. Yeah, if we're in courtship and we're not married, let's not be touching each other. Let's put our hand in the right place. We lift it up to the Lord. Uh, (laughs) Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah, let's be honest with our spouses. Yeah. Mm. Don't have a secret account. Yes, sir. Don't buy land in your village and keep it. <laughs> and don't be wicked to your husband. Yes, sir. Don't be wicked to your wife. Don't be those kind of you know funny human beings. Their husband is struggling financially, and the woman has money. And they've been looking for money. They talk that they are hungry. <laughs> I've heard this story before. And they and they are praying together. God shall meet our needs. And she has money somewhere. And she didn't she didn't say anything until the man discovered it. You imagine how how should that man feel? Ah. If they are looking for a year, is you? I <laughs> you know that kind of person is tongue talking, you know. Bible carrying, devil stomping, demon chasing, Holy Ghost bound, and the Holy Ghost set free. (laughs) Heaven bound. Can you imagine? Will she go to heaven? Yes, she will. But does she have a good testimony on earth? No. And you know what a bad testimony will do? I told you earlier on. It will limit what God can do through you. And that will in turn reduce your reward before the Lord. So, does our character matter? Yes, sir. Yes, it does. It does. So that somebody, another physician like Luke, can write about you and say, Brother John, Brother John, to whom is a spouse, Sister Pames. <laughs> you know, because when Matthew wrote about Joseph, he said, because he was a good man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So because the guy was a good man. Yeah. So we need to be good men. Yes, kind men. Yes, Lovely husbands. Yes, Loving fathers. Yes, Supportive wives. Yes, Strong women. Oh. Yes, You're not those ones that sit down their husband. You know, what yes, I always say, when you're talking with one people about domestic violence, she also wants a woman. Because there's a woman who beat their husband. So one woman beat her husband, sat on him, and told the children, now, look at what I've done to your father. <laughs> I know most times that one is worse because it's very difficult for the man to confess that said, you have marital crisis. He said, what's the marital crisis? He said, ah, I can't, my mouth cannot say. It's very hard for him to not say, ah, my wife is beating me. <laughs> you know, because usually the first reaction people will give me is that, ah, what happened to your hand? You cannot defend yourself. <laughs> I 
I tell you, if you're a lady, you got to be careful not to be, you know, it's for everybody, both men and women. Temper. You're getting angry, and every time you're angry at this, you're hitting things, throwing things. Boop, bah, bah. You cannot talk without, you, are, you like action film. <laughs> I've told you this. The mom and I watched the movie recently, and um, I mean, the least person you could have expected in all the characters in that movie turned out to be a wife beater. And you know, when they showed the scene of how he was beating his wife, I was amazed. And of course, it is what happens. That is not just, if I, when the eyes raise, uh, you know, you know, it's not that it's just, he started, the way he started, I didn't think it was anything, it was just a few slaps here and there. Woo. <laughs> there is nothing few about slaps. <laughs> it's not few at all. It's not a few. <laughs> so just few slaps here and there. I mean, when they showed, when they dramatized, the guy would kick, punch, he carry belt, flog like a child. Hear this, it's, it happens. It happens. Flog and punch. You know, like that. With the only goes inside you. <laughs> That the distance between your hand and the face, the whole of the new creation realities couldn't stop you. <laughs> you know, I used to say this over the years before, and some people thought I was joking about it. God forbid it, and I mean God for really bid that a leader does that to his spouse. I said, I will get some of the other ministers to carry you, hold you, and I will flog you. <laughs> I'm not joking. I've been saying it for years. Man, no, I'm alone. One light, I'm alone. For you, I'm telling you. Ah, 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 you know, I, I heard a guy who said, you know, when he was growing up, there was a guy who used to beat his wife, and people were always separated. And one day, his father got angry. He beat his wife again, and his father got some guys to go and carry him. <laughs> he said his father beat, they beat, and they flogged him like a, like a little boy. That was the last day he beat his wife. <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, no matter what the temper is, yeah, yeah no, yeah. Uh, you know, it's foolishness for anybody to say they provoked me. No, because one of the greatest reasons why people fail in life is not taking responsibility. Yes, Got to take responsibility. Forget about anybody's contribution to it. Stop blaming your father that didn't stay with your mother. Stop blaming your family background. This is you now. Those things were decisions made without your control. But now you're an adult. You can make choices. So choose right. Leave those excuses behind you. Make the right decisions and move forward with God. Is somebody hear what I'm saying now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And if you're a lady too, don't let your mouth be too sharp. Because there is that which a woman can say that can inflict more wounds than a physical fist landing on the person's face. It's possible. There are some men that really need 
therapy. Because if you open their soul, the wounds there, they, they, it's, it's terrible. Especially those ones that they don't even know how to respond. And he's just living in that bondage, as it were. And his head has been beaten down by his wife. What she says, blah, blah, blah. Any little thing, tap, 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 tap. Look at your mate. What are you What do you mean? He's going out in the morning like this. He's quarrel. You've insulted him. That's how you, you cannot. What do you even know how to do? You cannot even help somebody. I say, you ordinary water, you cannot even boil. <laughs> you know, somebody cannot cook. It's so bad that they can't boil water successfully. <laughs> it's, it's very bad. It's a bad case. <laughs> it's a hopeless matter. <laughs> but let me tell you, the way we just laughed over it, about not being able to cook, you know, there are some things that they are seemingly harmless you can laugh about, but they are the same things you can use and weaponize them and damage your partner. Your tone. Yeah. One of the things you need to watch if you want to save your marriage or your relationship, watch your tone. Watch your tone. It's tone that it starts with tone. In your courtship, you begin to watch your tone now because you are not married now. Because sometimes people see red flags, they never just pay attention to it. What the tone now is raising his voice over you, you are still in courtship. And the way he talks to you is condescending. What the tone? Because if you don't check the tone, it will turn to literal insults and all right, derogatory statements. And then from that one, hands will be raised. Yeah? I'll tell you as a pastor, all right, you know we have strong family values in this church. And I can tell you part of those family values is that we will not condone violence in the marriage. And if, if ever violence happens, I will make sure you are separated. I will do it. I will call all the members of your family. And I will tell them, this, this is the stand of the church. Go separate ways. Go separate ways. I want you alive. I'm telling you, go separate ways. Separation, yes. And if it's irredeemable, go and marry somebody else. No, it's true. It's a ground for it. Yeah. Because if he wants to continue to beat you, beat you, beat you, it means he's not ready to marry you. Especially if he's, there's nobody to, he will listen to. The man that is beating, beating, I say, I will endure. I will endure. Are you Christian, dear? <laughs> nah. That kind of thing. First of all, is to even go separate ways. It's possible to, to, to be able to remedy it if the two parties are ready to cooperate. You say, ah, so the woman also needs to cooperate. Oh, yeah, she needs to cooperate to move away. Sometimes the person that is being beaten doesn't want to leave. Yeah. She doesn't want to leave. Yeah. And that's why usually pastors are very careful. Because you would think, ah, ah, this person they are beating like this. Let's go and fight for her. But the person you want to fight for doesn't want to be fought for. <laughs> then you go and carry your, your, your anointing and you will you, 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 you receive insults. <laughs> They say, who sent you to come and fight? And the guy you want to save, she's hiding behind the man you want to save her from. <laughs> Man, I'm not going home. <laughs> then the two of them will now look at her and say, oh. 
Yo, leave our house. Leave our house. <laughs> oh, me, I respect myself. Oh. <laughs> I say it over the years. God for me. If a brother is busy his wife, even if I want to come and separate you, and I'm here, I'm not coming closer. I'll be here far away. I say, ah, brother, like me. Leave her now. You think I'll come and enter and say, me? Say, when I'm talking, I'll blow my face. On Sunday, when I come to I say, dad, what happened to your eyes? How will I explain it? <laughs> ah, I protect my calling. <laughs> He sent forth his word. Telling you, <laughs> you know, I just, I just believe there are certain things that, you know, it is well. <laughs> so there are certain things that really, when you when you have righteous authorities in your life, let them be enough to be the boundaries that guide you. Let them be enough. Let them be enough. To save you a lot of trouble in life. The righteous authorities God said in our life. It is what is lacking in many marriages that has brought you to a ruin. No righteous authority. Alright? It's the reason why you see some children are well adjusted. There were righteous authorities in their life every step of the way. That you know. When you say a child that has a strong fatherhood presence, you can tell. Because one of the things a father does in the life of a child is he sets boundaries. Tells the child that's enough. You can't do that. Stop that. Remove that from any human being. They will run wild. And that's why I told you, father out is a structure, it's father and mother. All right? Don't have a home where daddy says one thing, but mommy is partially not really in support. Or mommy is passive about it. <laughs> Take the same stand. Don't let your children feel like if mommy says something, we can get daddy to overrule it. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't create anarchy. Are you seeing this? Glory to Jesus. Glory to God. And of course, you know, all this married thing we talked about jokingly, marriage is a covenant. And uh, and stand to your feet, you know, because we'll we'll get into it by the grace of God. We'll get into it. We're just looking at... um, Laying foundations tonight. Glory to Jesus. But were you blessed? Yes, sir. There are a few things I wanted to say, but it's all right. But I'll close with this one uh, because next week Wednesday we're going to look at it. The blood covenant gives blood confidence that births blood confessions. We're going to look at it in scriptures. In every place where covenants were caught, words were spoken. 
And the, one of the major purposes of covenant is confidence. Is to put confidence in a person. Another purpose, there are about three purposes of covenant. Four that I, that I, I will talk about in next, next Wednesday. The first purpose of covenant is confidence. The second purpose of covenant, you see, is hope. Hope. When you call covenant, you have hope. The third one is immutability. 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 Thank you, Lord. And then the fourth one is to end all strife. We're going to see it from Hebrews chapter 6. All right? To end all strife. That is all disputes or, you know. You know, because Genesis 15, when God said to Abraham, I will make you great. And Abraham said, how will I? I will give you this land. So he said, how will I know these things will be true? God said, all right, get me an ephah. Get me, and he told him to get all those things. And God told him, he said, cut them into two halves. I told you the word covenant in the Hebrew is the word berith. It means to cut until blood flows. You later see, we'll see next Wednesday by the grace of God, how God later told Abraham to circumcise himself and all the male born in his household. When they cut themselves in circumcision, what will come out? Blood. But words were spoken. And actually, once covenant is cut, blood covenant will particularly birth a confidence in you. And that's one of the things I trust the Lord to bring every one of us to during this teaching. To increase our confidence in God. Because everything God has said and done in Christ is backed by a blood covenant. Blood covenant is so strong that it outlives the man that entered into it. You see how God was speaking concerning David and he said, look, he said, even if your children disobey me, uh, he said, I will punish them, I will, I will discipline them, I will chastise them. That was the word. He said, but I will never forsake them. Not because of them, but because of the covenant that caught with you. Isaiah 55, 3, he said, incline your ear and, he, and leave. He said, here, incline your ear. He said, here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. You see, God used somebody like David, Abraham, those two particularly, all right, as human phases to his covenant with us. Because that covenant really, we'll see it next week. One of the major, major difference between the old and new covenant is the fact that in the old covenant, as a law, it was a covenant between God and man. The new covenant is God himself. Because man cannot be faithful enough to keep covenant with God. And that was a failure of the old covenant. And that's what he was saying in that Hebrew that we were looking at tonight. It found fault in them. And he told us the fault. He said they were not faithful. They were not faithful. They couldn't keep their part of the deal. And God knew that, of course. We'll look at the purpose of the law itself. You'll be amazed. We'll look at the purpose of the law. Did you see this? And the, in the new covenant, even when you see Abraham in Genesis 15, everything that happened, God put him to sleep first. He only woke up to, to see what God had done. And God was speaking with assurance. And that's the confidence there. You know, I, I was just you know putting my notes together, studying, and the Lord said something to me about confidence. I, I must say this to you. And is this not a dictionary uh, definition? The Holy Ghost just, and now, like I said, now this is not the Holy Ghost. This is not many of a Bible, whatever. Uh, confidence is a whatever. <laughs> so now notice. And the Lord just said this. He said, confidence is a logical, reasonable defiance of threats or danger. And he said, this logic or reason can be natural or supernatural. I'll, I'll say it again. Confidence is the logical 
or reasonable excuse me defiance of threats or danger or uncertainty this logic or reason can be natural or supernatural in other words there are people who are naturally confident and check anybody who is naturally confident that is confidence that is not from god there are people who are confident it's not from god they have a logic they are banking on that makes them defy threats danger and uncertainty there's a logic behind it there's a reason why he's that bold why he's defying all those things you see a person who go all those people who do all those um, you know uh, what do you call them uh, 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 when they bring animals uh, what do you call those circus you see all those people they do very crazily dangerous things there is something is banking on all those guys that perform magic they say they put a lady on this they say they will cut her into two there is a trick there is a logic something they put in place that you don't know that will make them carry the knife and the lady is there looking like and everybody's screaming like ah, I don't know. there's something that makes them defy the danger in that act that's that's the natural side but on the side of god the world is getting evil and more evil more dangerous however we mustn't lose our confidence because there is a supernatural logic it's called the logic of faith that makes you defy the odds defy the danger defy the threats defy the uncertainty of the future and follow God and that confidence is rooted in our covenant that he made by himself with himself but for us because it is still God making covenant with man however this man is a man that is representing is God rather that is representing man yes sir we'll look at it next week because the only man that can keep up with covenant with God is the man Jesus himself are you hearing what I'm saying now and that's why you see one of the major things we're going to emphasize in this series is our faith in the blood of Jesus particularly in speaking concerning the blood over our lives your mind one of the things you must do to protect this your mind is the blood we look at Hebrews 13 20 and 21 very well it's the blood and, and listen to this statement I, I put it at the end of my note for today's teaching which we will now cover next week and I wrote this down. If you do not exercise your authority, now this is a quote from Reverend Mark Ankins. All right, and it's about confession. If you will not, if you do not exercise your authority over your thought life, then you will not be able to exercise your authority in any other area of your life. It's one of the most powerful statements I've heard about confessions. And like I said, this is a quote. I, I'm quoting Reverend Mark Ankins, great teacher of God's word. He said, if you do not exercise your authority over your thought life, then you will not be able to exercise your authority in any other area of your life. I'm going to explain this a lot next Wednesday by God's grace, or maybe even on Sunday. Bring your mind into harmony with the word of God. Bring your mind into harmony with the word of God. Whatever the enemy brings into your mind, you exercise authority immediately over that. Whether it's a thought suggestions which is usually how the devil speaks to people he uses suggestions i'll say it again bring your mind into harmony with the word of god whatever the enemy brings into your mind you by yourself exercise authority immediately over that thought or those thoughts 
those suggestions with your words. Finally, use the word of God. And this is what you should say most of the time. In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood. You know what I'm saying? Particularly when it's something that has, that has to do with your mind. Truly, if you can't exercise authority over your thoughts, there is no way you can exercise authority in any area of your life. It's not possible. Because that's where everything starts from. In fact, let me tell you, everything the devil brings against you will start in your mind. It will be sustained in your mind. It will be finished in your mind. The moment the thing begins to play out, the devil continues to play that whatever in your mind to sustain what he's doing on the outside. So if you really don't take authority over your thoughts, beloved, you cannot take authority anywhere else. You cannot. And that's one place you must use the power of the blood of Jesus the most. And what I'm telling you, you have practiced it. It works all the time. Brother Egan did it. It worked. I hear what I'm saying now. In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood. The devil is not going to force me to think what I don't want to think. Whether it's a thought of immorality, sin, or fear, or death, or anything. Plead the blood against it. The blood always silences Satan. All the time. All the time. Every 100% of the time. Tonight, in the next few minutes, open your mouth. Exercise that authority over your thought life now. Exercise that authority now, everybody. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yes, yes, yes. Use your authority. He does not bear the sword in vain. He does not bear the sword in vain. Use the authority you have now. That thought that was plaguing you throughout the day, you will not go back home to sleep with that thought tonight. You won't go and commit that sin. You're not going home to commit that sin. That fear will not go home with you today. That enemy is not going to torment you tonight. Open your mouth. I, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood. Come on, come on. In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood. In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood. You will not be a slave to those thoughts. Yeah, use the power of the blood of Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. mind silence it by the blood of Jesus when you open your mouth that's how you release authority authority is given by words it is exercised by words online on ground open your mouth in the name of Jesus I plead the blood in the name of Jesus I plead the blood those thoughts of immorality shut it down those thoughts of fear shut it down that harassment of the devil. Take authority of it. 
take authority. Speak the word over yourself. I am the Lord's vineyard. He waters me every moment. He keeps me night and day. No hurt, no harm. Speak over your baby. Pregnant woman, speak over that child. Speak over your own body. Speak over your marriage. Speak over your children. Speak over your future. Speak over your career. Speak. Use the blood. Use the blood. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, I heard a man of God. I mean, these are people who are in the class of fathers in the faith. And I've been in the World of Faith movement. Some people trained by Daddy again over the years. And he said during the lockdown, I mean, their ministry, massive ministry. And you know, finances went down. And a lot of things were happening. And he said things were very tough. And he said one day the Lord said to him, while he was praying, waiting on the Lord, that God, what will I do? And he said he was amazed at the answer God gave him. And he said God said to him, when will you actually start acting like somebody that has a covenant with me? So that was the response God gave him. He said, because all you are just talking about is what is not working, blah, blah, blah. You are sounding as if there is no hope. He said, so when will you actually start acting like somebody that has a covenant with me? And tonight, that's what I want to say to some of you. When will you really start acting like somebody that has a covenant? You need to be covenant-minded. A covenant has been bequeathed to you. A covenant completed, ratified in blood that you were brought to come and enjoy. And you must begin to take advantage of it. When will you start using the blood of Jesus? There are those who use it wrongly, but you must know how to use it rightly. Now I'm saying to you, you need to get to your house and sing about the blood of Jesus. And talk about the blood of Jesus. And say what the word of God says about the blood of Jesus. That's how to talk about it. You sing songs about the blood. You know the song we sang when we said, you know, before I came up this evening, on the basis of the blood. The man who wrote that song, uh, uh, David David Ingalls, one of Brother Higgins, very close friends before he went to be with the Lord, used to sing at every camp. He was in Camerton this year. So what I'm saying, old man now. Powerful song. On the basis of the blood, we've been accepted. On the basis of the blood. In case you don't even know, it is on the basis of the blood that your prayers are answered. Yeah? So why should we be silent about it? We mustn't be. Sing it at home. Sing it on your way to work. Speak of it. Lift your hands sometimes at home and just say, Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus. And let's do that as we close today. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the blood. We give you praise, oh God. Thank you for the blood, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for the blood. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
You've been listening to the teaching of God's Word, brought to you by God's Heritage of Faith Church. Our mission is raising stronger believers. For more information about our church or to get more of our live transforming resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.